This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mysteries of Udolpho by Anne Radcliffe Volume 2, Chapter 10, Part 2 of 2 Everywhere as she passed she heard from a distance the uproar of contention, and the figures of faces which she met hurrying along the passages struck her mind with dismay. Emily might now have appeared like an angel of light, encompassed by fiends. At length she reached the lesser hall, which was silent and deserted, but panting for breath she sat down to recover herself. The total stillness of this place was as awful as the tumult from which she had escaped, but she had now time to recall her scattered thoughts, to remember her personal danger, and to consider of some means of safety. She perceived that it was useless to seek Madame Montoni through the wide extent and intricacies of the castle, now, too, when every avenue seemed to be beset by ruffians. In this hall she could not resolve to stay, for she knew not how soon it might become their place of rendezvous. And though she wished to go to her chamber, she dreaded again to encounter them on the way. Thus she sat, trembling and hesitating, when a distant murmur broke on the silence, and grew louder and louder, till she distinguished voices and steps approaching. She then rose to go, but the sounds came along the only passage by which she could depart, and she was compelled to await in the hall the arrival of the persons whose steps she heard. As these advanced, she distinguished groans, and then saw a man borne slowly along by four others. Her spirits faltered at the sight, and she leaned against the wall for support. The bearers, meanwhile, entered the hall, and being too busily occupied to detain or even notice Emily, she attempted to leave it, but her strength failed, and she again sat down on the bench. A damp chilliness came over her. Her sight became confused. She knew not what had passed or where she was yet the groans of the wounded person still vibrated on her heart. In a few moments the tide of life seemed again to flow. She began to breathe more freely, and her senses revived. She had not fainted, nor had ever totally lost her consciousness, but had contrived to support herself on the bench, still without courage to turn her eyes upon the unfortunate object which remained near her, and about whom the men were yet too much engaged to attend to her. When her strength returned, she rose, and was suffered to leave the hall, though her anxiety, having produced some vain inquiries concerning Madame Montoni, had thus made a discovery of herself. Towards her chamber she now hastened, as fast as her steps would bear her, for she still perceived upon her passage the sounds of confusion at a distance, and she endeavoured, by taking her way through some obscure rooms, to avoid encountering the persons whose looks had terrified her before, as well as those parts of the castle where the tumult might still rage. At length she reached her chamber, and having secured the door of the corridor, felt herself for a moment in safety. A profound stillness reigned in this remote apartment, which not even the faint murmur of the most distant sounds now reached. She sat down, near one of the casements, and as she gazed on the mountain view beyond, a deep repose of its beauty struck her with all the force of contrast, and she could scarcely believe herself so near 
a scene of savage discord. The contending elements seemed to have retired from their natural spheres, and to have collected themselves into the minds of men, for there alone the tempest now reigned. Emily tried to tranquilize her spirits, but anxiety made her constantly listen for some sound, and often look out upon the ramparts, where all, however, was lonely and still. As a sense of her own immediate danger had decreased, her apprehension concerning Madame Montoni heightened, who, she remembered, had been fiercely threatened with confinement in the East Turret, and it was possible that her husband had satisfied his present vengeance with this punishment. She therefore determined, when night should return and the inhabitants of the castle should be asleep, to explore the way to the turret, which, as a direction it stood in was mentioned, appeared not very difficult to be done. She knew, indeed, that although her aunt might be there, she could afford her no effectual assistance, but it might give her some comfort even to know that she was discovered, and to hear the sound of her niece's voice, for herself, any certainty concerning Madame Montoni's fate appeared more tolerable than this exhausting suspense. Meanwhile, Annette did not appear, and Emily was surprised and somewhat alarmed for her, whom, in the confusion of the late scene, various accidents might have befallen, and it was improbable that she would have failed to come to her apartment unless something unfortunate had happened. Thus the hours passed in solitude, in silence, and in anxious conjecturing. Being not once disturbed by a message, or a sound, it appeared that Montoni had wholly forgotten her, and it gave her some comfort to find that she could be so unnoticed. She endeavored to withdraw her thoughts from the anxiety that preyed upon them, but they refused control. She could neither read or draw, and the tones of her lute were so utterly discordant with the present state of her feelings that she could not endure them for a moment. The sun at length set behind the western mountains, his fiery beams faded from the clouds, and then a dun melancholy purple drew over them, and gradually involved the features of the country below. Soon after, the sentinels passed on the rampart to commence the watch. Twilight had now spread its gloom over every object. The dismal obscurity of her chamber recalled fearful thoughts, but she remembered that to procure a light she must pass through a great extent of the castle, and above all through the halls, where she had already experienced so much horror. Darkness, indeed, in the present state of her spirits, made silence and solitude terrible to her. It would also prevent the possibility of her finding her way to the turret, and condemn her to remain in suspense concerning the fate of her aunt. Yet she dared not venture forth for a lamp. Continuing at the casement, that she might catch the last lingering gleam of evening, a thousand vague images of fear floated on her fancy. What if some of these ruffians, said she, should find out the private staircase, and in the darkness of night steal into my chamber? Then, recollecting the mysterious inhabitant of the neighboring apartment, her terror changed its object. He is not a prisoner, said she though he remains in one chamber, for Montoni did not fasten the door when he left it. The unknown person himself did this. It is certain, therefore, he can come out when he pleases. 
she paused, for notwithstanding the terrors of darkness, she considered it very improbable, whoever he was, that he could have any interest in intruding upon her retirement. And again the subject of her emotion changed when, remembering her nearness to the chamber, where the veil had formerly disclosed a dreadful spectacle, she doubted whether some passage might not communicate between it and the insecure door of the staircase. It was now entirely dark, and she left the casement. As she sat with her eyes fixed on the hearth, she thought she perceived there a spark of light, it twinkled and disappeared, and then again was visible. At length, with much care, she fanned the embers of a wood fire that had been lighted in the morning into flame, and having communicated it to a lamp which always stood in her room, felt a satisfaction not to be conceived without a review of her situation. Her first care was to guard the door of the staircase, for which purpose she placed against it all the furniture she could move, and she was thus employed for some time, at the end of which she had another instance how much more oppressive misfortune is to the idle than to the busy. For having then leisure to think over all the circumstances of her present afflictions, she imagined a thousand evils for futurity, and these real and ideal subjects of distress alike wounded her mind. Thus heavily moved the hours till midnight, when she counted the sullen notes of the great clock as they rolled along the rampart, unmingled with any sound except the distant footfall of a sentinel who came to relieve guard. She now thought she might venture toward the turret, and having gently opened the chamber door to examine the corridor and to listen if any person was stirring in the castle, found all around in perfect stillness. Yet no sooner had she left the room than she perceived a light flash on the walls of the corridor, and without waiting to see by whom it was carried, she shrunk back and closed her door. No one approaching, she conjectured that it was Montoni going to pay his midnight visit to her unknown neighbor, and she determined to wait till he should have retired to his own apartment. When the chimes had told another half-hour, she once more opened the door, and perceiving that no person was in the corridor, hastily crossed into a passage that led along the south side of the castle towards the staircase, whence she believed she could easily find her way to the turret. Often pausing on her way, listening apprehensively to the murmurs of the wind, and looking fearfully onward into the gloom of the long passages, she at length reached the staircase. But there her perplexity began. Two passages appeared, of which she knew not how to prefer one, and was compelled at last to decide by chance, rather than by circumstances. That she entered, opened first into a wide gallery, along which she passed lightly and swiftly, for the lonely aspect of the place awed her, and she started at the echo of her own steps. On a sudden, she thought she heard a voice, and not distinguishing from whence it came, feared equally to proceed or to return. For some moments she stood in an attitude of listening expectation, shrinking almost from herself and scarcely daring to look round her. The voice came again, but though it was now near her, terror did not allow her to judge exactly whence it proceeded. She thought, however, that it was the voice of complaint, and her belief was soon confirmed by a low moaning sound that seemed to proceed from one of the chambers 
opening into the gallery. It instantly occurred to her that Madame Montoni might be there confined, and she advanced to the door to speak, but was checked by considering that she was, perhaps, going to commit herself to a stranger, who might discover her to Montoni. For though this person, whoever it was, seemed to be in affliction, it did not follow that he was a prisoner. While these thoughts passed over her mind and left her still in hesitation, the voice spoke again, and calling, Ludovico, she then perceived it to be that of Annette, on which, no longer hesitating, she went in joy to answer her. Ludovico, cried Annette, sobbing, Ludovico. It is not Ludovico, it is I, Mademoiselle Emily. Annette ceased sobbing and was silent. If you can open the door, let me in, said Emily. Here is no person to hurt you. Ludovico, oh, Ludovico, cried Annette. Emily now lost her patience, and her fear of being overheard increasing. She was even nearly about to leave the door, when she considered that Annette might possibly know something of the situation of Madame Montoni, or direct her to the turret. At length she obtained a reply, though little satisfactory, to her questions, for Annette knew nothing of Madame Montoni, and only conjured Emily to tell her what was become of Ludovico. Of him she had no information to give, and she again asked who had shut Annette up. Ludovico, said the poor girl, Ludovico shut me up. When I ran away from the dressing-room door to-day, I went I scarcely knew where for safety, and in this gallery here I met Ludovico, who hurried me into this chamber, and locked me up to keep me out of harm, as he said. But he was in such a hurry himself, he hardly spoke ten words, but he told me he would come and let me out, when all was quiet, and he took away the keys with him. Now all these hours are past, and I have neither seen or heard a word of him. They have murdered him, I know they have. Emily suddenly remembered the wounded person whom she had seen borne into the servant's hall, and she scarcely doubted that he was Ludovico, but she concealed the circumstance from Annette, and endeavored to comfort her. Then, impatient to learn something of her aunt, she again inquired the way to the turret. "'Oh, you are not going, Mademoiselle,' said Annette. "'For heaven's sake, do not go and leave me here by myself.' "'Nay, Annette, you do not think I can wait in the gallery all night,' replied Emily. "'Direct me to the turret. In the morning I will endeavor to release you.' "'Oh, holy Mary!' exclaimed Annette. "'Am I to stay here by myself all night? I shall be frightened out of my senses, and I shall die of hunger.' I have had nothing to eat since dinner. Emily could scarcely forbear smiling at the heterogeneous distresses of Annette, though she sincerely pitied them, and said what she could to soothe her. At length she obtained something like a direction to the east turret, and quitted the door, from whence, after many intricacies and perplexities, she reached the steep and winding stairs of the turret, at the foot of which she stopped to rest, and to reanimate her courage with a sense of her duty. As she surveyed the dismal place, she perceived a door on the opposite side of the staircase, and anxious to know whether it would lead her to Madame Montoni, she tried to undraw the bolts which fastened it. A fresher air came to her face as she unclosed the door which opened upon the east rampart, and the sudden current had nearly extinguished her light, which she now removed to a distance. And again, looking out upon the obscure terrace, she perceived only the faint outline of the walls and of some towers, while above heavy clouds, 
borne along the wind, seemed to mingle with the stairs and wrap the night in thicker darkness. As she gazed, now willing to defer the moment of certainty from which she expected only confirmation of evil, a distant footstep reminded her that she might be observed by the men on watch, and hastily closing the door, she took her lamp and passed up the staircase. Trembling came upon her as she ascended through the gloom. To her melancholy fancy this seemed to be a place of death, and the chilling silence that reigned confirmed its character. Her spirits faltered. Perhaps, said she, I am come hither only to learn a dreadful truth, or to witness some horrible spectacle. I feel that my senses would not survive an addition of horror. The image of her aunt murdered, murdered perhaps by the hand of Montoni, rose to her mind. She trembled, grasped for breath, repented that she had dared to venture hither, and checked her steps. But after she had paused a few minutes, the consciousness of her duty returned, and she went on. Still all was silent. At length the track of blood upon a stair caught her eye, and instantly she perceived that the wall and several other steps were stained. She paused, again struggled to support herself, and the lamp almost fell from her trembling hand. Still no sound was heard. No living being seemed to inhabit the turret. A thousand times she wished herself again in her chamber, dreaded to inquire further, dreaded to encounter some horrible spectacle, and yet could not resolve, now that she was so near the termination of her efforts, to desist from them. Having again collected courage to proceed, after ascending about halfway up the turret, she came to another door, but here again she stopped in hesitation, listened for sounds within, and then summoning all her resolution, unclosed it, and entered a chamber which, as her lamp shot its feeble rays through the darkness, seemed to exhibit only dew-stained and deserted walls. As she stood examining it, in fearful expectation of discovering the remains of her unfortunate aunt, she perceived something lying in an obscure corner of the room, and struck with an horrible conviction she became, for an instant, motionless and nearly insensible. Then, with a kind of desperate resolution, she hurried towards the object that excited her terror, when, perceiving the clothes of some person on the floor, she caught hold of them, and found in her grasp the old uniform of a soldier beneath which appeared a heap of pikes and other arms. Scarcely daring to trust her sight, she continued for some moments to gaze on the object of her late alarm, and then left the chamber, so much comforted and occupied by the conviction that her aunt was not there, that she was going to descend the turret without inquiring further, when, on turning to do so, she observed upon some steps of the second flight an appearance of blood, and remembering that there were yet another chamber to be explored, she again followed the windings of the ascent. Still, as she ascended, the track of blood glared upon the stairs. It led her to the door of a landing-place that terminated them, but she was unable to follow it further. Now that she was so near the sought-for certainty, she dreaded to know it even more than before, and had not fortitude sufficient to speak or to attempt opening the door. Having listened in vain for some sound that might confirm or destroy her fears, she at length laid her hand on the lock, 
and finding it fastened, called on Madame Montoni, but only a chilling silence ensued. "'She is dead!' she cried. "'Murdered! Her blood is on the stairs!' Emily grew very faint, could support herself no longer, and had scarcely presence of mind to set down the lamp and place herself on a step. When her recollection returned, she spoke again at the door, and again attempted to open it, and having lingered for some time without receiving any answer or hearing any sound, she descended the turret, and with all the swiftness her feebleness would permit, sought her own apartment. As she turned into the corridor, the door of a chamber opened, from whence Montoni came forth, but Emily, more terrified than ever to behold him, shrunk back into the passage soon enough to escape being noticed, and heard him close the door, which she had perceived was the same she formerly observed. Having here listened to his departing steps till their faint sound was lost in distance, she ventured to her apartment, and securing it once again retired to her bed, leaving the lamp burning on the hearth. But sleep was fled from her harassed mind, to which images of horror alone occurred. She endeavored to think it possible that Madame Montoni had not been taken to the turret, but when she recollected the former menaces of her husband and the terrible spirit of vengeance which he had displayed on a late occasion, when she remembered his general character, the looks of the men who had forced Madame Montoni from her apartment, and the written traces on the stairs of the turret, she could not doubt that her aunt had been carried thither, and could scarcely hope that she had not been carried to be murdered. The grey of morning had long dawned through her casements before Emily closed her eyes in sleep, when wearied nature at length yielded her a respite from suffering. End of Volume 2, Chapter 10, Part 2 of 2